Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Well, welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. (laughs) As you can tell, uh, we're coming to you from the road. We are currently on our way back from Birmingham, Alabama to Charleston, South Carolina, where we, in Birmingham, we attended the Rethink Apologetics Conference. Uh, Mike and I were a couple of the parent chaperones. We had a group of 28 total. How many teenagers? About 20? Yeah, we had, yeah, about 20. Yeah, about 20. Yeah, I think we had about eight adults or so, 20 kids. Uh, so we are on our way back to Charleston now. It is Sunday afternoon, and we thought that we would do a quick episode just to kind of recap the weekend that we had, go through a little bit of what we did, what we heard, what we thought. Yeah, and to be honest, I would say I was minimally disappointed. Um, the theme of it was, has God spoken? And I think like the centerpiece main talk was um, Jay Warner Wallace and his presentation of how he came to believe the scripture is part of it. He's a uh, forensic detective. He's been trained in um, eyewitness testimony, et cetera, et cetera. I've heard this talk before. It's very good. However, he had to have emergency surgery, so he wasn't there to give kind of the centerpiece talk of to kick us off. And Abdu Murray came in and did a great job. Um, but you it's know, not you, his talk. it's not his talk. Yeah. You, you know, you could tell that there were a couple of misfires with you know some of the presentation stuff. So I mean, was it good? Yeah, but um, I sure miss Jay Warner Wallace. Yeah. I guess coming into it, I was hoping there would be um, a little more than I heard on maybe how we get the Bible, the reliability of the scriptures. There was some of that, but it seemed to be the the emphasis was in a different place than I was anticipating. Um, But I agree with you. It was a good weekend. Um, I wouldn't say that overall it was a disappointment, but it was not quite what I was expecting. Yeah, I, I thought there might be some textual criticism, maybe use the long ending of Mark or the woman caught in adultery to talk about textual criticism and maybe why we wouldn't thunder on those passages. I happen to believe the woman caught in adultery is authentic history, but probably not canon, most likely not canon, whereas the longer ending of Mark, uh, there's some things in there that have always bothered me and then when I figured out when I learned that this was added on later I went okay well that makes sense right you know, to to what's going on here yeah I think the um, the pericope adultery is plausible but um, yeah I, I think I don't hold to it being canon I think there are some real textual critical issues if you want to try to hold that it is well, and not only does it show up in different places, but doesn't it show up in different Gospels? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 
different places in John. I think it's in Luke. It may show up in Mark one time. I think another time it's just in a collation of the Gospels, and it just seems like it was kind of added in. So, um, you know, uh, Douglas Wilson in a book debate with James White on debating the text of the New Testament says, I know it's, you know, did, did Jesus really do this? Of course he did. It just sounds like him. And I want to say, that's not how we actually do this, you know. Um, right, so. and I would agree with him. It does sound like him. It sounds like something Jesus would do. But, you know, we could probably make up some stories that sound like Jesus. And that's not what, what your, your point is. That's not the test of canonicity. Right. right. The, the, and just to be clear, in my opinion, the test of canonicity is what did John write? What did he send out as his work? Not anything that was added later. Um, so that was the kind of the, an overview of rethink. Any, um, what was your favorite? Did you have a particular talk that you liked the most out of? Well, I did enjoy Abdu Murray's presentation of Jay Warner Wallace's talk. Um, having come last year and heard Jay Warner Wallace, I'd love to hear him do his own talk because I think he. I can just imagine that as good as it was, it would be even better. The second talk Friday night on the six points of the unbelievable claims that the Bible makes and why they can be trusted, I enjoyed that one. Um, can you remember all six of them? I know it's a supernatural only, fighter. Oh, yeah, fighter, uh, it was... Supernatural I remember changes. The, the big finger is big claims. Yeah. It answers big questions of life, right? Right, yeah. Pinky was prophecy. supernatural. Was it prophecy or perseverance? Yeah. They're, I have them all written in my notes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but they, it was good. And he, there were three different speakers that took two of those apiece. Right. So, um, yeah. I guess in Not to Steal Thunder, which I know that you'll probably even say that. My favorite was we sat down and, um, and I've gone to the Q&A. I went to the Q&A the first year with Greg Kokel and um, it was actually Mark Z. I can't pronounce his last name. It's like Zerurik or something like that. He's with um, Hugh Ross's group, Reasons to Believe. He's an astron astronomer. I didn't go last year. We went this year, and it was Amy Hall and Tim Barnett, and I thought they did a really good job. Um, they get like no like warning. Cats. Yeah, there's no warning of what question's going to be asked. And there was an atheist guy in there who I didn't realize he was an atheist at the time because he was answer, asking questions that a genuine believer could ask. Yeah. Um, and I had seen him at. Amy Hall's little, she had like a little ask me questions booth out in the foyer. I'd seen him there and I thought, well, he, you know, he's just a very interactive, well, it turns out he's a kind of a very, well, he's a very active atheist who's, I guess, almost seeking to disprove God. It didn't seem like he was really wanting to hear answers. He was more wanting to put did in you gather defeaters. that by all of the interruptions that he did? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did interrupt quite a bit. But they, I thought they answered his questions good. There were some really kind of intramural questions. Uh, Calvinism, Arminianism came up a couple times, I think. 
uh, different flavors of it. One was on Perseverance of the Saints, one was on Predestination. Right. And, you know, all Baptists are Arminian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Th there was a girl who asked a question. She goes to the church where we were, which is Presbyterian, and uh, seemed to think that Presbyterian means you have to be uh, a Calvinist, which is largely historically true, though not entirely, and that to be a Baptist, you have to be an Arminian, which in modern times is maybe largely true, but not how the SBC started. So uh, I actually followed up with her afterwards and yeah. kind of said, hey, it's not quite so cut and dry. There are different subcategories. Yeah, I grew up Baptist, and we had both in my church. Um, well, if you go back to the roots of the Southern Baptist Convention, it was started by people who had the basically the 1689 London Baptist Confession as their confessional document, and they were hardcore Calvinists. So uh, that was that was interesting. I would say maybe my favorite session was the fifth one, which I didn't go to. <laughs> uh, no offense to Tim Barnett, he, that was his talk, but we continued some discussions from the Q&A breakout session through that fifth session and got to talk with Chris, the atheist. Um, I got to talk with a uh, Pentecostal Arminian and we discussed the issue of free will, which really turned into an issue of total depravity. Um, and got to walk through a couple of different passages there. Um, I don't think I convinced him of anything. Yeah, I, I agree. He seemed to, again, have, like when he was asking, so he later asked about perseverance of the saints. He termed it as once saved, always saved. We kind of corrected that a little bit. Um, and again, it, it's almost confirmation bias. They, they already knew what they believed. They just wanted to give you the, the verses to support what they believe instead of, all right, well, let me, is this a reasonable belief to hold? What are the pros? What are the cons? Etc. Right. So. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't believe it's my job to convince people. I believe it's my job to give a winsome presentation of what I believe and hope, hoping that it's right, then it's the Spirit's job sanctify God's truth into people's hearts. You have failed if you if you didn't convince them. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe I should give up podcasting then. I think I heard cheering through the video. Oh, cheering? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, um... Just thinking, are there any other... Well, if you've never been to a Rethink conference... I would recommend it. There's one uh, that they hold in Southern California. There's one that they hold in Dallas. This is the one in Birmingham, Alabama, which is the closest to us. We're just outside or inside the people who travel the farthest because every year there's someone who comes from Missouri. It seems like they beat us. Last year there was someone who claimed they were from China, but they were actually like a exchange student right and they had just come from some church in Birmingham I'm like right. okay you I don't think you can claim I think there was somebody that was there from Europe though yeah maybe. legitimately yeah um, and then they're gonna have another one Minnesota there's there's another one that's like up in the north area I think yeah. it's Minnesota um, but there's always a, a um, 
magician named Drew. Yeah. We're pretty sure that he needs an exorcism. Yep. Some of the stuff that he did could only be powered by dark forces. <laughs> uh, and we got confirmation of that because one of the teens that came with us uh, this time was the final contestant, participant, volunteer. whatever, volunteer on stage. And uh, either he paid her a lot of money to keep her mouth shut or she really was not in on it. Yeah, so we had some confirmation. And she had literally just spoke well, and this is the last one that they didn't, they didn't get to freely choose something. They chose kind of at random out of a bag. And, um, yes, at random. random. And she happened to be the last, the one that didn't get eliminated. And it turns out that the Zac Efron that she pulled was, um, but the Paris thing. I thought Paris was on the pole. No, she came up with the Paris thing on her own, right? Yeah, where some of our passengers in the back are verifying that the Paris thing was all on her own. No. Like, he adds that, and then, like, he pulls down this thing, and it says, in Paris. And I'm like... And that was... So... Not that this relates too much to Theology Matters, but there was this box that was hanging from the ceiling. Both of us got independently asked what we thought it was without us knowing and we both answered it's probably some building capital <laughs> fundraising box i was I, I was quite relieved to hear that it was related to dark magic instead of a building fund campaign uh, but so at the very end they lower this box they open it he hands the envelope directly to her like it doesn't seem like there was any time for him to have written anything on it done anything and they lower the thing one fold at a time and this information that they've been collecting throughout the two days is showing up on this piece of paper with Juliana's at the very end which she had just said minutes ago so it was pretty I was impressed obviously he does a good job I mean he put a mouse in the box that had been hanging since Friday Obviously, he's able to manipulate things. Right. And he did mention on Saturday midday or so that the answers are right in front of us. We just can't see them. Right. So, yeah. anyway. Anything from the uh, cheap seats in the back? What would you guys like this weekend? I went to... On that Lily's basically a testimony and one of the Lily Galtuts and was really powerful. It's great to see because you look at a lot of people, you know, the atheists and stuff, but the Muslim side and how they have a connection with that, and that's the biggest thing for them to get all the blue. It's it's breaking away from Muslimism, and it's not. It's proving that the Bible is light, more, and they they have to get away from it. Speak up. Something along the lines of what he said. Okay. Missy was saying something. You I got to see the, the talk with the Cameron man who lost his three-year-old son. And um, he, he was talking to kids about, you know, when that hard time comes, because that was his worst nightmare. He's like, I literally would wake up in sweats before this happened, that this would break my faith. And it didn't. And he goes, you know, there was times that I yelled and screamed to God, not at God, but to God of my feelings. Like, why did this happen? 
but then he would bring the scripture back to me and say, I am all knowing, I am good, I am just. This is pain, feel your pain, but move through it. And to tell a bunch of uh, teens that it's okay to feel your pain and not just be dismissive of it was just really eye-opening to the group that was in there. And the Q&A for him was really neat because, you know, like, break, like teenage breakups, you know, most adults are like, oh, it's fine. In 20 years, you won't even care. But he's like, you know, that's, that's raw pain to you. It's okay to feel that pain. It's okay to tell God that you have pain when a lot of societies just pushes them to the side. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Just to add on to what Missy said, I think if you're reading James, he talks about people who have plans and there's no allowance for God to intervene in those plans. And I don't think the, the, the takeaway from the, the, those passages is don't have plans or not even to not want your plans to be interrupted, but when God does interrupt your plans, which he does from time to time, that you trust him that, okay, you are God. I am not God. Um, you're smarter than I am. You're gooder than I am. <laughs> and, you, and you have a plan that you're working, and it's not always his plan for our life, but our life for his plan. And so sometimes he interrupts our life with difficult things, Sometimes we figure out what he's doing. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we never know what God, what are you working through this? We don't know. Um, but we can trust him. And uh, we know ultimately, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 you know, says, we do have momentary light affliction, but we're building up for ourselves an eternal weight of glory, far beyond, far beyond all comparison. Um, and that we're to focus on the things that we can't see, not the things, the temporal things that we, we can see. Um, so, yeah, sometimes, God, you learn those lessons a really tough way like that the cameraman did. He said it was the, the hardest lesson he's ever had to learn because he kept saying, well, that will break my faith. That's the only thing that could ever break my faith is losing my child. And he goes, and God taught me that nothing can break my faith. And he goes, it was a very hard lesson to learn because he's five years out now from the passing of his son. But he's like, you know, never tell God this would break my faith because he will prove to you that it doesn't. And sometimes it's a really hard pill to swallow. That reminds me of uh, one of the other conversations I had during the fifth session was with a young man named Jacob who seemed to be having some raw pain based on some breakdown in the family and some bad choices that his brother had made and he was asking you know why would God allow this why didn't God keep him from making these poor choices and you know the truth is we I had nothing concrete to tell him I, I, I didn't have an answer to say oh well for sure God is doing this and this is going to come out I and mean, we, we aren't given that kind of information yet, as I'm sure the cameraman would say, what we can go back to are the bedrock truths of God is good, his word is true, and Jesus is a perfect savior. And when, when we delve into the things that Deuteronomy 29, 29 says are the hidden things of the Lord, um, 
I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong to wonder about those things. I don't think it's wrong to ask the questions, but I think we need to be content to not get answers to everything that we want to know and just be willing to continue walking on with God and be content that he is good and that Romans 8 is true, that he will work everything for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yeah, the only thing I would, uh, if we're done with that topic, I was going to mention, I did see a little bit of the presentation that we did miss and the most of, mm. and I've seen that presentation in the past, and it's basically this idea that um, science and, and faith or science and Christianity don't mix, and uh, Tim Barnett does a good job illustrating that really it was Christianity that was the science starter um, and there's all these lists of well-known scientists Newton, Kepler, Galileo, um, Maxwell, Pascal, um, Boyle who were, and it was more than that who were all believers and not just like nominal believers if you read uh, Sir Isaac Newton's work he you know is a huge believer and he dedicates his work to God and he, you know, motivated by his faith. So he's just showing that, you know, science is not opposed to Christianity. And I, I think this is in the church. I remember we had some Apollos meetings where we were talking kind of through this and there was this idea that, well, we have to reject science. And I, I had repeated the line, I don't even know who said it. I think it was Frank Turek said, um, you know, science doesn't say anything. It's scientists who say stuff. And our modern day scientists are looking at the same data that we look at and coming to different conclusions in some areas. Um, and, and so we can challenge them in those areas. But uh, the, the actual um, practice of science itself just trying to learn about God's natural world is not at all opposed to uh, faith in Christianity. And uh, Tim Barnett compares and contrasts just that methodology where we're looking for the best answer for what we see going on in nature to where we would say there's a, um, a methodological naturalism. And it's basically that any problem that we look at, we're always going to look for a natural explanation. And so scientists, which is fine if you're looking for a natural explanation for a log burning up, but if, if scientists starts dealing with, you know, some of our creation, the origin of life, forensic type stuff, like even in a crime scene, that's a forensic science, sometimes all of that stuff can be explained by natural causes. You find a dead person, you can explain it by natural things. Sometimes it's an agent that causes those crime scenes. And so uh, the same way with some of our sciences, sometimes we look at the origin of species and there's not going to be a good natural explanation for that. It points to an agent, which we would call a creator or God. So uh, I think that's a great talk. Um, it's something that needs to be heard by both the Christian and the atheist um, to show that these don't, while we may draw different conclusions, it's not like these things can't be put together.
Yeah, I think part of the need to hear that is because we live in a day where it seems to me like a lot of people have lost sight of what science is, what it does, and what it cannot do. And, you know, if you dispute conclusions based on data that has been captured, you frequently are just called some sort of a denier. Uh, and so then there's no ability to discuss the data and to evaluate the conclusions to say, is this a valid conclusion or not? If it's if the conclusions are just presumed to be true, then you've actually ceased doing science uh, and you're now into the realm of faith. Right. Um, and that reminds me, one of my favorite lines came from Abdul Murray's cover of Jay Warner Wallace's talk, which is, silly things are still silly, even if really smart people say them. Um, and so yeah, I, I totally agree with you. We do, we do not need to be afraid of science at all. This world is governed by laws that are so steady because they were made by a God who values order and not chaos. So, uh, you know, we, we should feel completely free to go out and study and examine and get to know his world better, catalog it, uh, define it, and, and come to learn from it and what we can do in it. That there's nothing about that that's in any way objectionable to Christianity. Right, and there was this prevailing um, theory in the early 1900s um, that is uh, called, uh, I can't think of what it's called. I'll remember it since we're done, but it was a philosophical theory that basically everything had to be, if a statement was not able to be validated empirically, then it was a nonsensical statement. So either your statements were true false or nonsensical um, and this held sway for a long time um, until that statement that I just um, made someone pointed out well that's not able to be verified empirically uh, <laughs> so it's nonsensical yeah so it's nonsensical <laughs> um, but some of the heart of that lives on in what people refer to as scientism and there was even a, a debate where there's an atheist and a Christian where the Christian, the atheist said, "Well, what do you, you know? I believe everything can be proven by science." And the Christian said, "Well, do you think that scientists should report their lab experiments accurately and truthfully, or do you think they should fudge them so that they can get published in a paper?" That can't. He said, "Well, I think they should report them honestly. That's not verifiable by um, science." So um, there are things that are outside the realm of science. Well, I mean, the problem with that perspective is if you take that perspective, you have completely ruled God out before doing any investigation at all. Right, right. Right, it's the... Um, well, and, and the things that science has to lay on, like the philosophy of science, like how do we do science, what do we agree even is science or qualifies, none of that can be verified by science itself. Right. Well, and who's theory was it that a miracle is by definition the least likely explanation? Um, that David I don't, Hume? Well, Hume was the guy that there were, I thought you were talking, so there was a more recent person that got quoted that basically re, reformulated what David Hume said. But okay. Yes, but David Hume has said similar things to that. Right, I mean, so by definition, any explanation is more probable than a miracle. Well, you've just now made miracles impossible. Right. You've defined them out of existence without determining 
whether they could possibly exist or not. You're just saying they don't. And well, and one of the speakers this week can point out that that's actually circular reasoning because you're assuming the end in one of your first premises. Um, this guy came along, last name was uh, Bayes. He developed the Bayesian um, theory of probability. And he wasn't trying to do anything with Christianity or miracles. He was just trying to formulate the probability of some event occurring based on known historical uh, background data. And so there's this equation um, that we won't go into uh, for the non-math types. But anyways, you can use that equation to show that, well, miracles actually, you can show that they have a high probability of being the answer to some explanation. Anything else you want to talk about from Rethink? I don't think so. All right. Anything else from uh, the passengers? So, uh, we'll leave you with this. Think well. Walk humbly. Love mercy. And do justice. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. 